Good morning, everyone. How are you awake? I know it's dark outside. Um, if you are new or new to us, I know people walked in this morning that I did not recognize. So hi, uh, I'm Jen, and I am the lead pastor here at the Meeting House in East Toronto. Um, yeah, really excited that you're here. Um, if you're always here or you're recently back or brand new here, um, really excited to say hi to you and hopefully meet you after the service today. Um, I was not here the last two weeks, which I realize wasn't great planning on my part. Don't think I'll do that again. Um, but fall is here and, and we're back to school and the rhythms have started and kids have gone up a grade and all of that. So it's really good to be here. My husband and I were just on vacation in Disney World, which a lot of you know we go to a lot. It was very fun. I can tell you lots about that later. Um, today is local teaching, but I'm not going to just talk about my trip to Disney because that would be um, rule, uh, grounds for not working here anymore, probably. Um, anyway, uh, I'm here today to do the third and final installment of our recentering series. So if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, um, it's been really good. Um, I did download weeks one and two um, to listen to on the plane on the way home. And um, two weeks ago, Carmen shared with us about Jesus centricity and what that means as Anabaptists. And last week, uh, Jimmy shared about pacifism and our peace position. So if you missed those, um, they're available on podcasts and on YouTube. I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to them. Um, I don't know for people in this room, but I didn't grow up in Anabaptist faith. And so it's been a really good reminder for me of some of the core things that make us a little bit different, uh, maybe from other Jesus followers. Um, so today we're going to wrap this series talking about our value of simplicity um, and more specifically, um, how we live simply so that we can give generously. So when you hear simplicity, you might also think of something called minimalism. It's been in our culture for a while. Um, I myself have been on a slow, slow, but consistent journey towards minimalism since about 2012, I think. I found the minimalists online, if you've heard of them. Um, and it was something really helpful that helped my life simplified, um, got my finances in order, all of that stuff. But it wasn't until I hopped up around the meeting house, I think in 2015, before I started working here, that I realized that simple living was actually helpful for my faith. It wasn't just helpful for my wallet and my home and my brain, but it's actually really helpful for my faith and, and how I follow Jesus. So although it started with YouTube and podcasts and Netflix documentaries, I've come to learn that at the core of living simply is a desire to emulate the lifestyle of Jesus and some of his earliest followers. It's pretty countercultural in today's day and age. Um, a lot of us, a lot of culture doesn't live simply. We have very busy, full, complex lives. And so this is something that's pretty different from that. Um, so in today's uh, message, I want to talk through, there's a whole bunch of places we can talk about when we talk about living simply so that we can give generously. Um, but I was thinking of maybe three um, broad areas that would maybe make you know, a lot of difference in our lives if we thought about how could we live simply in these areas to give generously. So as we get started, I have some questions for you to ponder. And you don't have to raise your hand. This isn't like a confession moment. This is just... I mean, if you want it to be, sure. Um, so is anyone here in this room feeling a little tired? Are you feeling busy, the B word, uh, burned out, exhausted? Any of those kind of, yeah, I, yeah, I'm feeling those right now. Yeah, me too from time to time. Some other questions to think about. 
How many nights in a given week is someone in your family programmed to be somewhere? How many nights a week do you get to be home and free as a family to hang out? How often in the run of, say, a month, are you hoping that your bank account doesn't go into overdraft? You don't get those silly charges because you're in the minuses. How many times this week, in the last seven days, have you had a deep conversation, a really meaningful conversation with another person? Now, as we think about these questions, my other question is, what are your values? What do you value in your life as you live your life? Because what I find sometimes is when we say what we value, we're pretty, we can be pretty clear on what we value, but then when you kind of look at your life, it's like, oh, I'm not sure if it really lines up with what I say what my values are. And so I wonder why that is. Like, why is it that we say we value, you know, X, Y, Z, but maybe how we spend our time or how we spend our, our other um, resources doesn't really line up with that. Because here is the reality that I know we all know, but I don't know if we really know, is that all of us only get one life, right? If we waste it, tough nuggets. You don't get a do-over. There's no passing go collecting $200 and starting another lap to see if you can do better that time. That's not the way this goes. We get one life, and then it's over, and then we go to be with Jesus. That's kind of it. So are we writing the story of our lives? Are you the one that's the author of your life? Or, or even better, are we allowing God to be the author of our lives? Or are we allowing the world, extracurricular activities, our careers, the rat race, to write our story for us? Because here's the thing that I think sometimes we forget. We aren't victims of our own lives. We're advocates. We're advocates for our lives and what they look like and what they feel like and what they do to us. No one can change the daily of your own life except for you. You're the one that's kind of in charge of your life. So what if I told you that you don't have to live constantly tired, busy, burned out, stressed, exhausted? What if we weren't actually designed, our bodies weren't physically designed to handle that or to live like that? What if there was another way? And actually, what if that way is actually the way of Jesus? Because Jesus actually says this in scripture, right? He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And it's funny, a lot of churches, I think maybe sometimes ours as well, we really like Jesus as the truth, right? Because that's the good theology, the solid teaching. Yeah, like give us all the deep stuff and home church will get all theological. It's awesome. And then we really like Jesus as the life because that means eternity with God. It's, you know, at the very least, fire insurance. And at the very best, like, we're living for something higher, and when this life is done, we get to go somewhere else. So Jesus as the truth and the life are, are great and awesome, and we celebrate those. But often we don't talk enough about Jesus as the way, the day-to-day -day lifestyle of Jesus, how we ought to live as his followers. There's a book I started reading a few weeks ago by John Mark Comer. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And man, it's been really, um, really speaking to me on, on a deep level. Some of uh, today's messages is based out of that. But he talks about following Jesus as the way and day-to-day -day lifestyle of Jesus. What does it mean to follow in that, in the way of Jesus? So as we think about that today, again, I want to look at three areas that maybe we can think about living in the way of Jesus, living more simply in some areas of our lives. So the first thing I want to talk about, everyone's favorite subject in church, is money. 
all the dollars. Um, of course, in Matthew 6, we, it says right there that you can't serve both God and money. Um, so when we think about this, I always ask my question, what do we really need in life? And that, that's always a, a question that, you know, we can ask ourselves. In Mark 12, verses 41 to 44, there's a story there about the widow's offering. And Jesus says, you know, people were um, like ragging on her or whatever. And Jesus said to them that you gave out of your wealth, but this widow who doesn't have much at all gave all she had in an offering to Jesus. So as we think about uh, money and our finances, um, often is do we have enough? And I know a lot of us, I know me often, I don't have enough money because I want to do X or I want to do Y. What's interesting though is if my financial like reality does increase, it's still not enough. It's like, huh, I wonder where the enough is. And I fear that it might never be enough because often we just keep spending. Um, so a question I started asking myself as I started on my minimalist journey is that, well, the finances that I do have, where is it going? Do, do I know where it's going? Um, does it align with the way, the lifestyle of Jesus? See, before I got onto this minimalism journey when I was a young, spry, 21-year-old youth pastor, don't know anyone hired me at 21, um, my sort of uh, idea of if I could afford something, like a vacation or a new computer, was could my credit card hold it? <laughs> Some of you are like, oh no, that couldn't have been good. It was not good. And that was how I sort of lived my life. Um, but when I found this idea of minimalism and living simply, um, I started a budget and really working to live on, you know, cash. <laughs> what a concept. Um, and now um, we're able to do that. And we are able to live even a couple of months ahead. But that took a lot of really learning about where it's going, what's necessary, what's maybe not, and how could we live more simply so that we could get that margin in our lives. If you can get a handle on your money, simplify finances, there's a lot of stress and anxiety that can go away. Because I used to be the person that would hit overdraft and I would just try to keep it just above enough so that I wouldn't get those you know, things and it go red and yell at me. Um, but that doesn't happen anymore. And so that alone, even just doing that makes you know, stress, anxiety kind of lift a bit. And it made me feel more ready to embrace the way of Jesus. So that's one area we could talk about simplifying maybe. The second area is time, of course. Um, and it's interesting, right? Because so often we're like, oh, I don't have time. I don't have time. And when I think about Jesus, like he's a pretty busy guy. I feel like he was kind of busy doing stuff. And man, does he ever take a lot of time to pray? He like runs away and prays like all different times. And I'm like, man, if he has time, like why don't I? And there is a, a famous quote from somebody that says, you know, I'm too busy not to pray because I so need Jesus in every aspect of my life. So the graphic that is on the screen, there it is. This graphic is fascinating. And listen, in all this sermon I'm preaching to myself, so maybe this will be helpful for you as well. Um, this graphic shows the typical day for a typical human, if one such exists, uh, from the year 2007, which, fun fact, that was the year the first iPhone came out, and then uh, 2015 and 2017. So hopefully we're getting eight hours of sleep. We would like to you know, some parents are laughing at me, but that's what we hope. Uh, and then we have to like work and drive and stuff. So that's pretty much two thirds of every one of our days just gone. Just, we can't, that's over. Um, and so then that white space at the end is our free time or the yellow in the last one. Can anyone guess what the red is? Screen time. So often when we say we don't have time, 
I sometimes tell myself that, oh, I don't have time to do this, that, or the other thing. And then I open my iPhone on that stupid screen time app, if you have seen that, if you have an iPhone, and I'm like, oh, I've spent <laughs> too much time that I can say out loud right now playing my silly puzzle game or my whatever or scrolling Instagram. And so I have time, it's just that I'm choosing to put it on screen. So all of a sudden we feel a lot busier than we did in 2007, but we have these little computers in our pockets um, that, that sometimes suck a fair bit of that away. Now living with margin, having some of that white space in your life is actually really lovely. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and I think when we look at our time and simplifying, it's really important to prioritize what matters and put in the big rocks first. I don't know if you've seen the analogy. I would have brought it, but it would have been complicated. But you have a big jar, and if you put in like your giant rocks first, so maybe for you that's you know hopefully your faith in Jesus, maybe your family, maybe your church community. Um, and then after that, you can put in all the little things. What often happens in our time is that all the little things that we have to do go in first, and then you try to shove in the big rocks, and they just don't fit. I don't have time to do family stuff or my Jesus stuff or whatever, because all this other stuff is kind of in the way. So if we say that our faith in Jesus and family, as examples, are two of the biggest things in your life, or maybe, you know, it's fitness, it's staying in shape, or it's learning a new skill or, or whatever. You could have lots of things that could be your big rocks in your life. It's a really good idea to fill your time, to fill your calendar with those big rocks first, or they will very easily, the world is trying super hard to crowd those out and just have the tyranny of the urgent or the tyranny of the cell phone that's buzzing in your pocket. So that's one uh, way we can look at simplifying our time. And finally, I wanna talk about simplifying our attention slash our focus. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced brain fog. I'm in a little bit of one right now, only because I had a really good sleep last night, which was lovely. Um, but often we can be in a brain fog because there's just so much going on, right? There's so many things, there's so much stimuli, advertisements that we see every day, um, all of that stuff. So I wonder when we think about our attention and focus, we can ask ourselves some questions. Uh, things like, how many hours of your day do you have headphones in? Just, just have something going. How, many, how often do we mindlessly scroll or play a game or watch TV? Almost kind of zombie-like, right? We just kind of let life happen to us. We're sort of in this little bit of a brain fog. How many of us miss the first time someone tries to get our attention? That happens to me sometimes. Our attention span is declining pretty fast, guys. So a book, the book that I mentioned earlier, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, there's a quote in there that kind of shocked me. This is what it says. In the year 2000, before the digital revolution, before iPhones and such, our attention span was 12 seconds. So it's not exactly like we had a lot of wiggle room. But since then, it's dropped to eight seconds. To put things in perspective, a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. Yes, that's right. We're losing to goldfish. So what is this loss of attention doing to us, our capacity for creativity, our relationships? To be honest, I'm a little concerned about the human race as a whole. You think of people historically who have created amazing things or have done incredible things. And sometimes I think we're so just going through the motions, but so distracted all the time. Like, do we even have the capacity to think through and, and do these things that you know humanity over history has accomplished incredible things? 
If we simplify down to essentials in this area and remove the clutter that's taking up our minds, our brains, our, our mental state, if we can actually become okay with silence, which I know for a lot of us, silence is hard. If we could do that, how much more brain space would we have? How much more patience? How much more could we actually hear from God, hear from other people? How deep could our relationships go if we gave this space? So those are three areas I can think about, kind of broad areas for living simply. And all of, like, if this wasn't a church, I could probably stop talking here and we'd all feel great and go home and maybe do some of this stuff. And most of the minimalist content that exists online would stop right here. Um, I think there's links, yeah, there is up there. Those are some of the sites that I read on the regular if you're interested to be like, I wanna learn more about this. All those guys are great. Some of them are Christians, some of them have kids. It's like a whole thing. Um, so in cultural minimalism, that's been pretty popular over the last little while, um, these personal gains that I just talked about are why you should pursue a simple life. The end. Do this, your life will be better for these reasons. Hooray. But the way of Jesus just doesn't stop here, right? We don't live simply just to feel better and get rid of our own stress and be like, "Woo, I feel better now. We actually live simply so that we can give generously as Jesus did. In this life, we are all given gifts. In James 1.17, it says, every good and perfect gift comes from heaven above. And these gifts aren't meant to just hoard or hide for ourselves, but they're to engage and to give. So in Matthew 25, there is the parable of the talents or the parable of the gifts, depending on what translation you're, you're reading. And it's basically about three guys that amassed, uh, their master gave them talents to, to have, I guess, while he was gone. And so one guy got five, one guy got two, and another guy got one. So it's interesting because the two guys that had the five and the two talents, they um, went off with them and, like, shared them. They gave them to other people. They put them to use. Um, and what happened is they multiplied. They ended up with more gifts in their life than what they started with, which was pretty awesome. Now, the third guy who only had the one, he was a little nervous he might lose this talent you know, he's been pretty busy. He didn't have a lot of margin in his life. Maybe his finances were a little tight. So he, he doesn't have much time to do much with this one talent. He's a little bit concerned. So he, instead of sharing it, he just buries it. Um, and then, of course, if you know this parable, when the master comes back, he applauds the first two that shared their gifts and they multiplied. And for the third, um, he takes it away. He's like, you didn't do anything with this gift that I gave you? Like, what were you thinking? So my question is, what talents or what gifts have you been given? Have you been passing them on, gifting them to the body? Or have you been so busy and stressed and full of stuff, like we just talked about, that you can't even think about having the space to give something to other people? Like, how could I? I can barely stand up myself. So what can we do with our talents once we have simplified our lives? Because the hope in the way of Jesus isn't just to simplify to feel better but it's to simplify to perhaps get margin so that we can do something with the talents, with the gifts that God has given us. So as we think about that, let's go back to the three areas that I spoke about a little bit earlier. So first, let's go back to, again, everyone's favorite subject, money. <laughs> so one uh, passage that I shared at our volunteer meeting this morning that is, it's tricky. It's in Matthew 19 when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and he's really asking, no, but what else do I need to follow you? 
it sounds like he had the, the truth and the life part pretty down. Like this guy had that stuff followed, but he's like, Jesus, like what else? And this is what Jesus answered. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, in this passage, you could take it maybe to the extreme. Jesus isn't saying here, don't have any money ever. Like, everyone sell 100% of their stuff and let's be monks together. That's not what Jesus is saying here. We all know that we, we need finances. We need money to survive. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people in our city that don't have what they need. Um, they don't have the money that they need to feed their family, to clothe their family, to have a home over their head. But I would wager in this room, a lot of us probably do have enough. Um, if we dare to prioritize and to set limits for ourselves. So this stat from Business Insider says that in 2021, the average adult worldwide makes $23,380 and owns $102,000 in net worth. That would include things like your house, your retirement savings, all that stuff. So like the ad says, you're richer than you think. <laughs> um, if you do make more than 23 grand a year, then you're, you're above the median uh, on this planet. So if we can simplify, really look at the way that we're using our finances and ask God to be the Lord of our wallets, which is a big prayer, this can lower our anxiety of having enough. And it will also free up some cash for other things, like giving to the church or organizations that help those who do not have enough, or just being able to be generous in the moment if something comes up. I have um, some friends in my life that actually live this really well. Just as a couple of examples, I have a friend in Georgia um, who's a Disney nerd like myself, um, and her and her husband have actually started a nonprofit called Funding Love, and they send families that have adopted children on all expenses paid Disney vacations. Um, because they know that adoption is hard on families, there's a lot, of, lot to it, and you don't exactly have vacation money left over. And so they give um, and fundraise for that to happen, which is so awesome, and I'm trying to wiggle my way into being a part of, <laughs> a part of one of those volunteer trips. I haven't gotten there yet, but we'll see. Um, Joshua Becker, the guy from becomingminimalist.com, he started something called the Hope Effect that improves the lives of orphans. Um, often kids living in orphanages do not have it, well in parts of the world, so the hope effect works to better that situation for, for those kids. Um, I've heard of missionaries over the years that reverse tithe, which is insane. They live on 10% of what they uh, earn and give away 90. Um, I also know of several people, even some people here in this room, that are able to do big gifts when needs arise. And it's not that all these people that I'm talking about are super rich or anything. And actually, um, if you read any of the financial minimalism stuff. The people that are, are rich, it's not because they spend lots of money. <laughs> Usually that makes you not rich pretty quickly. But when you thoughtfully and prayerfully manage your finances, you would be amazed at what's there for good. And as we read earlier, God can multiply what we trust him with, just like the parable of the talents. And as we look at giving generously in our time, if you simplified your schedule, what would happen? Not only would you have more time for your own self and your own family, which for introverts, I know that I count the days a week that I get to just relax at home, so we do need that. But besides that, you'll also have time and margin in your life to be interrupted. Again, back to Jesus. We like him. We talk about him a lot. He was a pretty busy guy, and he could have let the world around him decide just how busy he would be. 
There's a story in Matthew 9 where he was on the way to heal a girl, or actually she had died, so to go and, you know, eventually he did raise her from the dead. So that feels like a pretty busy, important task. No one would have docked Jesus for passing over the woman that was suffering with bleeding because he had important things to do. He had to go literally raise a girl from the dead, which sounds important. However, Jesus had time to stop. He didn't let the world dictate his pace. He stopped and saw and took time for many who, unfortunately, I think a lot of us would be too busy for. And Jesus always stopped. He always had the time. As we talk about these things, I know that each one of us in this room has different amounts of money in our bank accounts, but nobody in this room has any more or any less time than the other one. We are equal in that space. When I say I don't have time, what I'm really saying is there are other things that are more important. And you know what? We have to say no to some stuff because we can't say yes to everything because there's only 24 hours in a day. It goes back again to the rock analogy of what we value and what gets put in there first. When we free up some time to give in obedience to Jesus, we carve out time for the heart of Jesus. Being able to say yes to helping a friend in need or to a serving opportunity at church or to spending time with God or playing Uno with your kid or making that phone call to plan dinner. When we simplify, we have the option to say yes to those sorts of things. Because each of us only get one allotment of time, like I said, one round around the Monopoly board and none of us actually know if we're gonna get all the way to the, whatever the most expensive houses are. <laughs> we don't really know how long our, uh, our time on this earth really is. Are we really going to let the world just mindlessly suck it all away? Or will we be intentional about how much of it we let be programmed so we can have the margin to give some of it away as God leads us to? And finally, let's talk about how we can give generously in our attention and focus. When we live simply, our minds and hearts can actually declutter themselves a little bit, which enables us to give attention in ways most others can't. There's a really funny passage in John chapter 8 of, of the woman caught in adultery. It's so interesting because on first read, you could wonder why Jesus didn't teach against the religious leaders, why he didn't leap into action in some sort of big way, maybe command the rocks to crumble, Instead, he drew in the sand, which it sounds weird. And even though rocks were getting picked up to begin stoning this woman who was caught in adultery, Jesus had the brain space and sort of the calmness about him to say one simple sentence, and it diffused the entire situation. If you remember, it's let him without sin throw the first stone, and that was it. Jesus was able to speak with the woman and make a true change in her life. He gave her his attention and ignored the chaos of what was going on around him. A pastor that uh, I know is, um, his name is Dave Overholt from Hamilton. Some of you might have heard from him. And I was at a conference once and he talked about God taps um, in terms of a way of listening to the spirit. And basically what he has decided to do in his life is that if he feels a nudge like a, oh, you should go, you should go talk to that person. You should text this person. He just does it because he's like, it's probably from God. And if it's not, what's the worst that could happen? And I was like, oh, that's a fun way to live. So I've, I've tried to do that a little bit uh, on my own. But of course, if we're, if our brains are foggy and busy and cluttered, like, would we even notice if we got a tap? 
How many God moments do we maybe miss because we are scatterbrained in a brain fog, overwhelmed? Living simply will give us more clarity for ourselves, yeah, which will be super. But think of what we could do with that clarity of mind. Would we notice when our child is upset before the screaming starts? Would we have that conversation with a loved one instead of acting cold and annoyed from a distance? You all know you've done it, so have I. Would we be able to make more informed decisions on things like our time and our money? Rather than being a victim of the inevitable, could we intentionally give our focus to those who need it most? When we pursue the way of Jesus, the lifestyle of Jesus, our lives will become simpler, lighter, freer. And this is great for us, it's good times, but it will also enable us to create the margin needed to be able to give, to share our talents, to see them multiply in the kingdom. This is how the kingdom of God starts, not when we die, but right now, today, as we follow his way. So I'm going to invite the band back, and we are actually going to um, prepare to do communion together. So I'm going to switch mics here once I turn this on. Sorry, Jasmine, I didn't turn on the mic for you. That was my bad. Hello? Yay. So, n whoa, now it's super loud. Amazing. <laughs> so in order to truly live, something has to die or some things have to die. Sacrifice is involved to further God's kingdom. We sacrifice our desires for the sake of others, for other children of God. The ultimate sacrifice, of course, the ultimate generous gift, the giving generously, is Christ's body and blood. When we come to the Lord's table, it is a reminder of the constant provision of God. Anytime you eat and drink, Jesus says, I am here with you. Serve each other and care for one another. Give to others generously as I have given to you. Communion is an act of other-centered hospitality. In coming to the table, we announce the sacrificial act of Jesus until he returns in his fullness. As we enter into our time of communion, let's ask the Spirit to speak to us on the state of our lives. Where can we live simply so we can give generously? Are there areas of your schedule, your finances, or your focused attention that need to shift? As we think about those things, let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for the way that you give to us. God, and thank you that the Gospels are filled with examples where you make space for others, you make room for others, and you teach us, God, not just your truth and your life, but your way, the lifestyle of how you lived. And God, as we follow you, I pray that we will remember to follow the way of you. And God, as we think about our own lives and what they look like, um, and the way that you're calling us to, God, I just pray that you would speak in this room as we come and take communion and reflect on your ultimate sacrifice, the shedding of your blood. I pray, God, that you would help us to consider ways that we can live more simply so that we can live more in tune with your spirit and where you're calling us to give and to serve and to live among your children. God, I thank you so much for this uh, church, and I just pray that you would speak to us in the moments ahead. Amen.